0: time in the word and prayer. Father, thank you for the reminder and just revealing to us the joy that comes from proclaiming the greatness of your name and sharing in your glory. Father, thank you for allowing that so far this morning and Lord we pray that as we continue to worship and Father I pray now that it would be in many hearts here that as we continue to worship that we would see your glory, that we would recognize that you long to pour your spirit out here in this place and within us and you long to teach us, to share with us about redemption And to preach the gospel to us. Father, as we look at your word, may we be encouraged and lifted up. Or may we be challenged and convicted. Father, can we please see your grace this morning, your mercy, your justice, your kindness. Could we see the glory in the multitude of attributes that you have, and that you share with us your creation. Father, I pray that you would humble us. Father, humble us to a point where we would not look to approach your word on our own and in our flesh or with our own wisdom, but we would see the desperate need we have for the Spirit to work in our life for salvation and growth, but also just to be able to have you speak to us. May we see our Savior. We pray this in His name. Amen. In the most evil of all imagined worlds that could come to your mind, legal abortion would still be a horror the horror of all horrors. If you could just picture a world full of constant and complete wickedness and hate. And in that world, it allows a mother or a father to legally take the life of a child while in the body of his or her mother, which is the very place that God has chosen to fashion and bless and ordain life, even in that world, legalized abortion would still be inconceivable. So to know that this horrific and this inconceivable practice takes place every day in our world, a world that has experienced love and compassion and kindness, is beyond all comprehension. It should be beyond all comprehension in our minds. This should send chills down our spines. This Sunday is always set apart as Sanctity of Life Sunday, and so each year we have done something to recognize the tragedy of this event that happened so many years ago, whether it's been a presentation or a sermon. We have done something to recognize it and something um, to give witness to what God would have to say about this and what he longs for his church to say about this. Now, we do this for a few reasons. The first one is to affirm our commitments to the rights and personhood of every unborn child. We do that as a church, to affirm what we believe and hold dear as a church, what our leaders hold dear, and what we unashamedly believe, that those rights are God-given And it is a work of evil when it's taken away. We also do this to tell you that if you are a Christ follower, there should be no other option but to share those commitments. There's no other option. And then third, we do this to remind those that are in here that have had an abortion or that have encouraged an abortion or that have strongly considered an abortion Or that has considered it for a split second. We do this to offer the hope of the gospel. To offer the hope and the truth of forgiveness and redemption for what has happened. What has been taken and what has been lost. Because we find that in the gospel alone. And so there's great reason to talk through this issue. And to bring it up. And to see what God's word says about it. And so I want us to focus on this statement that the value and sacredness of every person is biblically recognized and affirmed and certainly in the womb. So we're going to look at the work of God in the womb, the work of the evil one in the womb, and the fact that policy alone will simply fail us. And so I want to look at a number of Scripture passages today. To look at the work of God in the womb, and I'd love for you to have take your Bible, or if you don't have your Bible with you, to grab a Bible in the pew. And if there are not enough in the pew, if you would read along with your neighbor as we look at a few of these passages. First, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 44. If you would please turn there, Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, verse 24. This is the Word of God, which is eternal and Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Again, I'll repeat. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. Please turn with me to Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, verse 8. Isaiah 64, 8 says, But now, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay and You are our potter. We are all the work of Your hand. Please turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. Verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Flip one book to the left to Job, chapter 31. Job 31, verses 13 through 15. If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, When they brought a complaint against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him? Verse 15 says, Did not he who made me in the womb make him? Did not one fashion us in the womb? And then turn back to Psalm chapter 100. Psalm 100. Verse three, Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Let me read that one more time. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So, Did I make my children? You can answer that. Did Elena make our children? Did you make your child? Maybe that will help you give an answer. Did you make your child? Did the woman that chose to have an abortion make her child? Did the father who encouraged the woman to have an abortion make that child? Does the doctor who assumes he has rights to go into the womb of a woman and destroy a child, did he have anything to do with the fashioning and the forming of that child? Did the doctor? God has made us. God has made our children. God has made and fashioned every life. And because of that, we could actually stop right there and say that is enough reason to say we have no rights to a life that is growing and being fashioned in the womb of his or her mother. God has made these children. God is fashioning children as we speak in the womb of their mother. He is appointing them to certain things in life. In the early writings of the New Testament, we see a theological affirmation about life in the womb that cannot be ignored. And I'm going to show you this in two passages. The first one is in Luke chapter 1, verse 15. Luke 1:15 if you would turn there. This is a very famous account of John the Baptist. And I'll just read this one verse that's in the middle of this story about the person of John the Baptist. It says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, an even more famous verse. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Joseph is falling asleep here. This is what the Scripture tells us. As he considered this, he fell asleep, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead with your marriage to Mary, for the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. These are two specific verses that demand our attention on this very day. In the first one, we see that God chose to regenerate and pour out his Spirit onto not a lifeless, personless being, but on a chosen person, John the Baptist, while still being fashioned in his mother's womb. Spirit came down onto a person, regenerating John the Baptist. In the second verse that we read in Matthew chapter 1, we see that in God's wisdom and in His providence and in His perfect plan that Jesus' life as a human did not begin in a manger. Because Jesus' life as a human, physical life, began in the womb of His mother Mary. These demand our attention. We need to see what God thinks about Life inside the womb. He fashions life there. He does great works there. He even, as far as we know, He has even saved one life in the womb. Probably many others. And certainly, He sent His one and only Son to live there in the womb of a woman for a time to be safe there as God fashioned the son's physical body. I also want to look at the work of the evil one in the womb in contrast to God's work in the womb. Because what the Bible also tells us is that God has plans for us even before our conception, even before our birth. Jeremiah 1 4-5 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me saying before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. John chapter 10 verse 10 tells us that the thief, referring to the enemy of God, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. So the thief longs to steal God's plans. He longs to kill God's people and God's children. He longs to destroy the very life that God is fashioning and working on in the womb of the mother. And yes, he does want to do this while a person, a child is in the womb. So it's God's work is to fashion and to make and to appoint and even to pour out his spirit upon children. Satan's work is is to contrast that, to combat it, to go at war with it, to steal it, to kill it, to destroy it. So you can be assured that the enemy, according to Scripture, and what we know about God and what we know about Him, is that the enemy is the chief architect of abortion. He is joining forces with millions of people in our very time to allow this industry to thrive and continue, and to get funds, and to get disciples, and to further its influence. He is the chief architect of this, and he longs for followers. He's passionate for followers. That said, I want us to also consider that policy alone will fail us. This week, as politicians botched a bill that would have made huge strides for the pro-life cause, I thought, what links, this is my first thought, what links will be taken to make sure that a pro-life stance will be politically correct? Then I thought about the huge mess that was caused by legalizing this brutal act over 40 years ago it made me think, what happens if one day the government, our government, determines that life begins at conception? What if that happens? What if the the miraculous happens? They determine that life begins at conception and this law is overturned and abortion in all its forms is outlawed. What happens if that takes place? What we will have is we will have a government that for over 40 years has told millions of people that are having an abortion or that are considering an abortion or that are pregnant and struggling with what that means, we have a government that for 40 years has told these people that what they are thinking about and eventually going to do is right and legal and even good. But if that law is overturned, our government will now be telling millions of people that they are murderers. That's the mess that we are in with 40 years of legalized abortion. That if our government does what we so long for it to do, it will then tell millions of people that they are murderers. You may say yes, because they are. But I want us to allow that to help us see the implications When it comes to abortion and when it comes to all other things, I want us to see the implications of law without gospel. Because if policy changes in this area, what that policy is going to say is it is going to point at people in their face and it's going to say, you are murderers. And then there's going to be a period. Now, they may try to do that sympathetically. They may try to do that carefully, but the fact is the period has to come because the government has no gospel. So we have to understand that policy alone would fail us. And in fact, policy alone would fail us in every area of wrongdoing. So I say, what if policy or what if law alone determined our fate? What if we depended on policy or law only to determine who we are, to determine how we should be defined, to determine where we should spend eternity, to determine what the world should think of us? What if we depended on that? And so as we look at the disgust and the darkness and the wickedness and the Shame and the sadness of this industry and of what's been going on year after year, I hope that we can all agree that if policy changes and it's only policy staring people in the face, then we leave people condemned in their sin, unforgiven, without hope, without any other way so, and I think this is correct to say that yes, I pray for a day that this dreadful sin and this horror of all horrors is no longer lawful. But may we remember that the only answer is the gospel of Jesus. And the only answer for abortions is the gospel of Jesus and for our sins for our lawlessness is the gospel of Jesus because by his death which in reality is the horror of all horrors it's because of his death that he is the redeemer of life he is the one, it's because of his death that these children have been senselessly in their weakness and in their helplessness have been destroyed it's by his death that they've been rescued and embraced by His hands and His arms and His kiss, but it's also by His death that we're embraced, that our lawlessness is not held against us, that we are not looked at by policy and by the law, and we're not stared in the face and called murderers. It's only by His death. It's only by His death that we get to break those chains. And so as we pray for this, And as we look for things to change and as we are emboldened by the gospel, I pray that we would all remember that policy will simply fail us alone. We long for it. We pray for it. But we must have hope in the gospel. And hear this, church. If something does, even if small steps are taken, if we're not on the front lines, what we are doing is we will be allowing our government to condemn people without any hope. And so as much as we need to be a part of this cause, we also need to be a part of the cause of the gospel to give, offer people hope and life and freedom. pray that we'll be reminded of the time of horror that we live in, the time of tragedy that we live in. I hope that we'll be reminded that in the most evil of all worlds, This would be a tragedy, and this would be inconceivable. But we have a gospel that is greater than even that, that can overcome even that, and that has to be our voice. That has to be what we long to communicate. Let's pray. God, while we are aware of so much innocent blood that has been spilled, may we also be aware of your sovereign goodness that is really more powerful and has the ability to overcome the greatest of evils. Father, I also pray that if we need a heart, our hearts to be recalibrated. A heart that doesn't just long for penalty, but also longs for grace. I pray that you would do that. A heart that doesn't just long for law, but also longs for forgiveness. Father, if we need a heart to be recalibrated towards the gospel, I pray that you would we would now, with the eyes of our hearts, see our Savior hanging on a cross, dying for those that have been slain in the womb, but also for those that have been doing the slave. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.